Organizations have long relied on security, information, and event management tools and capabilities to help them detect when they're being attacked, how they were attacked, and to organize their incident response. Hi, I'm Matthew Schwartz, Executive Editor with Information Security Media Group. And to help me analyze what's happening lately in the SIM space, I'm speaking with James Carter, CISO and VP at Logarithm Labs. James, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. We have been talking about SIM for a long time, and it's come a long way. I guess log management may have been one of the kind of earlier incarnations of it. And then there was SIM, there was SIEM, and we've seen these additional capabilities get added in. Mm -hmm. But to move away from the acronyms for a second, what is the real business result that organizations are looking to achieve with this class of technology? You know, I think that organizations are really looking for, you know, you know, we've always talked about that whole single pane of glass and the problem that we have right now with all these different niche products that solve, you know, individual use cases that tackle one particular problem, but yet tying all of that together. And I think, you know, SIM today, like you mentioned, started out with this, hey, log collection, then went to correlation, then we went to, you know, advanced, more advanced capabilities. But really, I think SIM today is a, is a complete, we call it a threat lifecycle management platform, but really something that ties everything together. It ties all the different disparate technologies that you have, whether it be a business-focused technology, you know, like an HR system, a, a project management system, whether it be a security technology, whether it be an IT, just general IT technology, and bringing all of it together to tell the full story of what's actually happening in your environment. And then taking it from, hey, let's go from detecting of incidents or detecting of events uh, which is probably an area of focus, you know, early on in, in the SIM kind of life cycle, if you look at that from, uh, you know, from beginning to end, to taking it to, you know, putting in workflow, putting in case management, putting in things to basically tie into what you do normally as a business, all your incident response processes, and, and then adding automation into that. So you can smartly determine if something's good or bad uh, and then take appropriate action. And so I like to say it, it really takes it from, detecting of things to all the way through to full-on remediation. And the more you can automate and the more you can embed that workflow into your business processes, the every CISO is going gonna, is gonna to reduce that time to detect and respond if they do that. And that's really what the focus is today on SIM. Uh, so they embed you know, behavior analytics, they embed case management, you know, security automation, orchestration, uh, all the niche players that you're seeing right now on the edge of the RSA for all into one platform to be able to do that from beginning to end. Let's talk about some of the niche players or these point technologies. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, with analytics and some of the other ones that you mentioned, could we just call those out a little bit? What, what is most in interesting to you that you're seeing? What I'm seeing that's interesting is, well, first of all, I'm seeing a lot of marketing hype. That's one piece of it. I'm, I'm looking at you know, a lot of the you know, behavior analytics people that are coming out you know, as long as you have behavior analytics, machine learning, big data, cloud, all the buzzwords into something. AI, gonna, don't forget AI, intelligence. AI, yes. you're, you're going to get some kind of traction and visibility. Someone's going to stop by your booth and see something. But really, it, it's beyond about, you know, the marketing hype and actually looking at what they do. So a lot of the behavior analytics stuff is, is looking at normalizing of, you know, user behavior, endpoint behavior, network behavior, and looking for anomalies outside of that. Now, even if those anomalies bubble out, you still have to go investigate them. You still have to go do something about them. So thank you again for, for detecting something that may or may not be malicious. You know, there's a fine line between malicious and suspicious. Uh, and, and so you, you still force that investigative process to have to happen. And so 
how much time does it really save you as a company? I mean, if we're looking at efficiency and being able to detect and remediate a threat pretty quickly, uh, behavior analytics will give you the leads and will give you kind of the insight into what's normal in your environment, give you that, you know, those indicators of suspiciousness. Uh, and then you still have to do all the work to define whether or not it's malicious or not and take action. So I see it as just another, you know, piece of, of the bigger, bigger piece of the pie. Uh, of what you have to do. And so I, I see the behavior analytics piece is just one aspect of it. And the vendors that are just singly focused on that, um, I don't think they have the complete picture. And I think that's something that uh, a CISO will want. Uh, and so I see that as a niche player uh, in the market today. What are some of the other capabilities, I mean, for example, with Logarithm, that you're offering that weren't available, say, five years ago, that are helping you reduce that detection time and increase well, your response Capabilities. Well, I think the security automation and orchestration piece. There's actually a lot of niche vendors that are just doing that today. Uh, I've, you know, we saw, you know, like I said, if you go to the outside halls, you'll see some of them. Well, they'll say we'll take all the different platforms that you have internally for security, and we'll slap our security automation orchestration on top of it. And really, that's the playbook. That's the runbook for for how everything operates and ties together and gets visualized. Uh, you know, that is a huge part of our product itself already. Uh, being able to automate response actions, being able to smartly validate with threat intelligence sources and things like that, whether or not a threat is actually a bad or not. So give me uh, an example of how that might work. Yeah, today. I'd be happy to. So, uh, you know, there's a few different ways. I mean, I, you know, we, this can go into a tangent on threat intel too. I'm, I'm pretty passionate about that subject. But, uh, you know, Sony breach happened a few years ago. You have indicators of compromise that are associated with the Sony breach. They can automatically get ingested into a SIM. And so you don't have to manually go search for things. You don't have to manually go look at your systems. You can just have it where it automatically gets sent into the SIM. The SIM will actually open up some automated responses that say, search my log repositories. If I'm collecting all the data already, more than likely those indicators will be in the data that I have if they're there. And so automatically search those indicators and then give me a red light, green light. Were they found or were they not? If they're found, then I need to automate a bunch of other actions like, let me go investigate this system. Let me go pull forensic data. Let me go pull memory from the system. Uh, let me start doing some analysis. Uh, let me automate some of that analysis and some of that workflow uh, that's associated with that. So instead of an analyst manually going out and performing these functions, automatically pull that data back. And, and then validating against threat intel sources. Okay, so we saw this in Sony. Yes, okay. Uh, take these other actions. And so that whole chain. So that's, that's kind of one aspect of, of the automation of workflow. The other one is looking at it from the perspective of even something as basic as phishing. Uh, user gets a phishing email. They have indicators associated with the phishing email. Um, those indicators, uh, once it's reported, can automatically get sent into, uh, sent to the SIM. And the SIM can go, hey, search my threat intel sources. And if five of the 10 come back and say it's bad, Go back to my email sources, go back to my exchange, go back to my O365, search the who received it, delete the email, put blocks for those domains and those indicators into all of my different uh, defenses, and then close the case. And you never even have to touch a thing. So this is that, those are a couple like, you know, pretty uh, strong examples of, of how security automation orchestration gets played out. Uh, and if you have the machine doing all that work for you intelligently and providing this and you have everything tied together, um, you don't need a ton of analysts to do a bunch of manual work. Uh, and so the more you can automate it, and, and let's be honest, analysts don't want to do that basic phishing campaign investigation work. They've been doing it for decades. They're tired of it. Uh, and so if you can automate all that, uh, that's that's powerful. How many sources of threat intelligence today are enough, do you oh, think? Oh, wow. 
Uh, so <laughs> that's, that's a great question. I don't think it's the amount of threat intel sources. I think it's the ones that you select. And the reason why I say that is I'm a big believer that your own data is probably your best source of threat intel. And this goes back into a little bit of the behavior analytics play here, which is that, you know, if you know the behaviors of your systems, if you know the behaviors of your technology, of your people, of your network, um, you know, anything that deviates outside of that normal pattern is suspicious. And so, you know, that in itself is a form of threat intel because it, it falls outside of that. Those are things that you should investigate because threat intel is used for things like, tell me if something's evil or bad in my, in my network. Well, the sources that you get by looking at your own data will tell you some of that data. And so it'll force you to go and investigate these areas. So I look at that. I look at, um, you know, I tell people don't use every free feed. Don't use every commercial feed. You look at stuff that's more industry specific for you. And I kind of look at it as like a thread intel maturity curve where you start with your, knowing your own data and systems first uh, and it being that being a source of thread intel. Then you move up into let me look at the thread intel that's applicable to my industry or my business and then you might be able to look at, okay, let me go beyond that. You know, let me look at honeypot data. Let me look at like all these other kind of this, you know, disparate sources of intelligence that you can gather. But you got to get one and two before you get to that level. Uh, and I think, you know, so that's, that's what threat intel really kind of means for me. We've been talking about creating a baseline and watching for variations of that mm -hmm. as an industry for a long time. Mm -hmm. It sounds like we have additional capabilities to bring to bear on that problem now. You've got the threat intelligence, for example. You've got some degree of machine learning or whatever you want to call right. it to automate the drudgery of the highly paid analysts you're using to try to keep you from getting hacked or to respond mm -hmm. more quickly. Those sound like two ways of responding more quickly. Is there any, anything else that's been really helping on that equation? Uh, you know, I think, you know, obviously you mentioned the machine learning aspect and some of the, the behavior analytics. I think there was... Um, you know that's that was a concept and idea that was early on uh, in our in the security industry, but I think people had a hard time doing it at scale. Uh, the other part too is having you know with machine learning having a hard time kind of teaching the machine uh, what's bad and good. Uh, it's it's sort of easy to baseline something and look for anomalies, but then to actually because I think security is so you know an attack may not take the same exact path every single time, and so the machine to be able to be able to smartly identify something that is hey, high likelihood that it's probably a compromise type activity, you have to teach it. And so I think that part is matured now. Uh, we've seen a lot of capabilities with machine learning to where uh, early on, you know, I come from the healthcare world too, to where understanding, uh, doing clinical trial studies or things like that where, you know, it follows a pretty succinct pattern every single time, that's easy to teach. But something in security, it's a lot harder to teach because it doesn't follow that pattern. I think we're getting to a point now where machine learning is getting uh, to an advanced stage and security is getting baked in now to where it's, it's learning a lot of the different attack vectors and types, malware families, how they can relate to each other and things like that. So I think we've just seen advances in that area. For organizations that do get hacked, breached, whatever you want to call it, from an incident response standpoint, what's one thing you'd like to see more organizations doing these days? Well, I, th I think the first thing is have a plan uh, and practice the plan. Uh, I think that a lot of companies, uh, and the other part too is, you know, this goes into like the PR marketing aspect of things, but you really, if you have to go public, you've got one shot. I mean, you've got your initial response that you can go public with. If you screw that up, it could make a massive difference in your business. It can make a massive difference between you actually doing well financially or taking a, a massive hit financially for, for your business. And so have the plan, practice the plan, understand who the stakeholders are, 
uh, understand that there's a you know a legal aspect, there's a PR marketing aspect, there's all these different stakeholders beyond just security, uh, and build that plan and practice it. You know, do dry runs every now and then because when that happens, you don't want to be doing your dry run when an incident is actually live. That's 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 a problem. Or figuring out who your stakeholders are and who you have to contact because, like I said, you get one shot at that opening, and if you screw it up. Uh, I don't want to name any any vendors, but we'll just say a vendor in the last few years that may have a building near here screwed up kind of in their opening, and they came out and you know and kind of said, "Hey, look, you know this happened. We're sorry. They apologized, but if you look at other folks that have been breached, they came out like we were a victim. You know, we got mugged in a way, and that is a different position than we were at fault for your your card data or whatever being stolen. Just that simple nuance alone." Uh, will make a huge difference to the bottom line as you go forward from a breach. And public perception. That's right. That's right. James, thanks very much for your time today. We've been discussing incident response, security, incident and event management, amongst other topics. I'm Matthew Schwartz with Information Security Media Group. Thanks very much for joining us.